Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. I'm Victor, your host, and in this episode, I will be breaking down and reviewing the season finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and that should be relatively brief, I believe. Spoiler alert, it's not great, <laughs> so you may want to skip ahead a little bit, about 15 minutes. If you don't want to hear my very negative review, I'll give you the spoiler-free version right now. I didn't like the season, and the finale really didn't help, and as a matter of fact, had most of the same flaws that the show had up until this point, and some of the same strengths, some really great visuals occasionally interspersed within absolutely ridiculous plot contrivances and coincidences and just terrible, terrible plotting with occasionally very good visuals and some pretty strong character interactions. But at this point in the show, I am so much on high alert for plot contrivances, especially in the context of the full Star Wars mythology that, man, <laughs> I have many, many negative things to say here. So you may want to skip them if you are a fan of the show. If you have been enjoying the show, I'd say this is probably stronger than the average episode, so you'll probably like it. Hard for me to get a read on that. And after that, primarily, I will be talking about a show that I am very excited about, The Old Man with Jeff Bridges, a show that was barely on my radar just a few weeks ago that I was going to cover with my sister Celia. She's back to discuss it. And I think it's a show we both will continue to watch. And these first two episodes, the only two that we've seen and that are currently available on Hulu and FX are just so well-made, so well-written, so well-acted, and just exceptionally well-made, directed by John Watts, the director of the three most recent Spider-Man movies. So stay tuned for all of that. These episodes are pretty close back-to-back, -back, but within a day and a half, two days max, you will be seeing my review and breakdown of the latest episode of The Boys, also, on Amazon Prime. I've noticed a lot of new listeners in that batch of episodes, so make sure to Listen to that if you are a fan of that series, or recommend it to somebody if you happen to know someone who watches that show. Next week, Sona comes back to discuss Only Murders in the Building, a show that we've covered in the past, so if you do want to catch up on that show, Season 1, very entertaining. We do have a backlog of episodes covering Season 1 of that series. And shortly thereafter, Celia and I will be covering a series called Blackbird on Apple+, Plus, a very interesting-looking serial killer drama based on a true story written for the screen by Dennis Lehane, the author of Gone Baby Gone, Mystic River, Shutter Island, and many other novels and films. Also one of the main writers of the excellent The Wire series from back in the day, about 20 years ago, available on HBO Max. So I'm very excited for that. And of course, most importantly, Sona will be continuing on the series, breaking down the final six episodes of Better Call Saul. And that begins again on July 11th. And Nick, also being a lawyer, will probably come on and give his opinion. He's also a big fan of Better Call Saul. The Boys is, has only two more episodes before the end of the season. So next week we'll have the penultimate episode and then the finale. So all of that is to come right before we get back into the Better Call Saul recaps. So if you're interested in any of that, make sure you subscribe so you know when those episodes become available. Drop us a me an email. We'd love to hear your feedback. Needs some introduction at gmail.com. And of course, recommend us to your friends and family if you think they might appreciate this commentary and conversation. So with that out of the way, let me get into my pretty negative, at least pretty negative, probably very negative, reaction to this final episode of season one of Obi-Wan Kenobi, part six, as it's called. Okay, my mini mini review of this episode is, whether he dies or I do, this ends today. Nope. Have you come to destroy me, Obi-Wan? Mm, nuh -uh. I will do what I must. Uh, nope. 
then you will die. Not gonna happen. And that is basically <laughs> the entirety of this recap. So the nitpicks are going to come immediately because there are so many, and I don't understand how you make a show this way, which probably has dozens, if not hundreds of people who are supervising the script and looking for plot inconsistencies and looking at what they're shooting every single day and pre-editing and pre-visualizing and not calling out the gaps in logic in this show. And there are so many just in this one episode. All that is to say that I'm going to have a lot of nitpicks. I've had nitpicks before on these recaps. I have many, many more today. So we begin five minutes, it feels like, immediately following the events of last episode. Obi-Wan and the Rebels are escaping. Darth Vader is in hot pursuit. The visuals here definitely recall the very first Star Wars movie. Meanwhile, we cut to Tatooine, where Reva has survived being stabbed in the abdomen. Surprise, surprise. Not a surprise. And she's arrived on Tatooine. Oh my God, is she going to go kill Luke? Nope. So she has somehow survived her wounds. We assume that Darth Vader's ship has been in close pursuit of the rebels this whole entire time. So this is hours later, and she has survived her wounds, found a ship, gotten to Tatooine, and she's roaming around the desert looking for Owen. So she's figured out who she's looking for as well, and tracked him down. All in the matter of, I don't know, minutes? She disappears from the story momentarily, but just to kind of close that circle, Owen and his wife are prepared for her to come at night. She's going to come at night. She's not been low profile this whole entire time, but all of a sudden, maybe because she's injured, maybe. All right, all right, I'll give you that. Obi-Wan breaks away from the rest of the rebels, has a scene with Leia, which is, this whole thing just annoys me, by the way, all these people fighting. We have to stick together. We got to stick together. Obviously, the smart thing to do is to try to pull them off of them. He runs off, and of course, Vader has to follow, and the Grand Inquisitor disagrees with this decision. Poor Rupert Friend survives his original killing on this show only to come back and give one line reading this whole entire episode. I assume they want to use him somewhere else. Maybe they want to make sure he's alive so they can bring him back in other series. I have to assume because why else even let him survive here? Which I would be open to, by the way, because I did find him entertaining. Vader has the entire Star Cruiser diverted to follow only Obi-Wan but then gets into his own ship and goes, I have to face him one-on-one. -on -one. Then why did you just not do that in the first place? for reasons, just for plot reasons, just for contrivance, just to get us to the next scene. I don't know. I don't know. And of course, this is the centerpiece of the whole episode. This episode's 40 minutes long, so it's longer than they have been. And by the way, I know people are critical that I say this is 40 minutes long. They say, nope, it's 50 something minutes long. Look, there are seven minutes at the end of these episodes with like the Chinese, French, and Korean dialogue credits so i'm saying the actual show like when the action ends minus the previously on this is 40 minutes of show and last week it wasn't even 30 that's what i'm saying don't tell me it's 35 minutes according to the listing or when you open the disney app subtract all those credits and all those previously ons it's barely 30 minutes if 30 minutes honestly and as i mentioned we get to the centerpiece of the episode once again extremely dark I, it's hard to see this stuff maybe it's my screen I don't know why they made this so dark. Regardless of that, it actually kind of works pretty well. The contrast of the lightsabers against this very dark background, this lightsaber battle between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi is all really beautifully done, granted. And we wanted to see Obi-Wan with his force powers back, really kicking ass. Well, we get a chance to see it here momentarily. But I have to say there are no stakes here. The music is so dramatic. Is Darth Vader going to die? No. 
Is Obi-Wan Kenobi going to die? Is he buried under those rocks and can't find his way out? No, absolutely not. We already know that. It's foundational to this whole entire show. It's not even like you're watching a Marvel show and you're saying, well, no, no, no. I know she doesn't die here because I saw that preview or that prequel TV series or that scene in that one movie. That makes sense maybe in an MCU when you assume people haven't seen all 20 films, right? But you can't have stakes, the music building and swelling. Oh my God, who's going to die today? When the foundational film, Star Wars, the very first episode, the very first film from 1977, lays out clearly that none of these people are, are dead. <laughs> they all are there. They're all in that movie. And I guess, I guess there are like little kids out there who have never seen Star Wars. This is like an entry, a gateway for that Star Wars movie. Maybe, but I mean, I gotta assume 95% of Star Wars fans have seen that film. That's the reason they're fans. Nobody's a fan of that series because of episode one. Well, maybe. I take that back. There is a generation of kids, but <laughs> I'll tell you, if, if that was the first Star Wars movie I'd seen, I would have never seen another one. So we do have, <laughs> back to the recap, they do have this very cool lightsaber battle, which they cut away. They cut away from that lightsaber battle for the thrilling scene of watching Owen throw a potted plant at Riva. So this parallel action is obviously completely lopsided because A, we're just not that vested in what's happening on Tatooine. And B, we know Luke doesn't die. We know Owen doesn't die. We know his wife doesn't die. All those characters are in the next chapter of this story. It's in, in Star Wars, if not before then, whatever comes in between. And maybe Reva dies, but we doubt that. She completely overpowers these folks with their potted plants. And honestly, who cares if she dies? I, I'm not a big fan of this character. I think most people are not. She has some good character beats here. They've added some shading to her background. But I don't think anyone's very vested in whether she comes back for another season, even if you did think she did a good job in this episode. Back on the moon where Obi-Wan and Darth Vader are battling, we see some cool things. We see Obi-Wan force himself out, punch his way out of that rock he's under. Once again, these people will never really kill each other. They just kind of half kill each other. <laughs> they give him another chance to survive. He busts out of there. He comes after Darth Vader. And there's a pretty cool sequence here where he slices Vader's mask open. Don't know how that would actually work. If that could, you know, very narrow window of getting the lightsaber just in there enough to pop off a piece of the mask without killing him. And we see poor Hayden Christensen. <laughs> this is all he came back for, for one DH scene. And then for this one eyeball in this one shot, but he gives a pretty good performance. He lets Obi-Wan off the hook. Hey, you know what? You didn't kill Anakin. I did. Darth Vader killed Anakin. This persona of his, this evil persona. So that lets Obi-Wan off the hook somewhat. But this is crazy. Once again, this is just me nitpicking maybe, but it's pretty big nitpick in my opinion. Obi-Wan has a chance at this moment to finish him off. He can kill Anakin. And he lets sentimentality get in his way and say, nope, I'm not going to kill Anakin. I'm going to leave him to fight another day. For him to think hard on the bad that he's done. Obi-Wan is indirectly responsible for millions of deaths, if you read this scene this way. If he could have killed Darth Vader at this moment, <laughs> the whole history of the cosmos would be different. Another thing I realized here is, in a vacuum, I suddenly realized in this moment, this was maybe why I have such an aversion to this show. It seems like at this moment that the stakes of the show were, will Obi-Wan be able to save Darth Vader, like his soul? Will he be able to do what supposedly Luke's potential death does in Return of the Jedi, which is to redeem him at that moment? And in this scene between Obi-Wan and Vader, I see that that was probably on paper what the show runners and creators 
were trying to hang the show around. That was supposed to be the dramatic stakes. And I would just simply say that is why for me the show, in a nutshell, fails so completely because I know, we all know that this does not happen for three more movies. So how can there be any drama in a situation that we know the outcome of and in, in the end is completely inconsequential to the broader mythology? This is a cool visual, though, by the way, with Vader's masks half split open. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan walks away from Vader, gets back on his ship, and suddenly feels, feels that Luke is in danger. And he takes the same shortcut that Reva took to get to Tatooine in about three and a half minutes. Reva is in the desert looking to track down Luke. Oh my God, listen to the music on the soundtrack. Is she going to kill Luke? Is she going to kill Luke? Nope, she's not going to kill Luke, everybody. There is a pretty cool visual moment here where we see that she is casting herself as the Luke figure, the Padawan who's about to be murdered. Then she is Darth Vader about to strike down. She's Anakin, I should say, actually, to strike down this Padawan. So this visually is pretty good storytelling here, by the way. So give them credit where they do a good job. It's completely obvious, but it does work. And once again, this actress is best when she's playing that conflicted self rather than the aggressor. So these scenes work, although there's no drama, no drama, because we know the decision she's going to make. She has to. It's all preordained. And then Owen and his wife, I apologize, can't remember her name, Beta, Beta, and Obi-Wan show up. Once again, listen to that musical cue. She's carrying Luke's body out. Oh my God. Did she kill Luke Skywalker? No, she didn't. And Obi-Wan does say something. Pretty good piece of dialogue here. He killed them all and I couldn't do it. You haven't failed them by showing mercy. You have given them peace. You have honored them. Have I become him? No. You've chosen not to. Who you become now. It is up to you. And then I did worry. We saw the, the runtime at this moment. I'm like, okay, the storyline has pretty much wrapped up and we have like 20 minutes to go. But there's a few more scenes, most of them not that good, but there's one interesting scene. Meanwhile, back at Mordor, Darth Vader is talking to Saruman. I, I mean, the Emperor. And then we have the reunion, Leia back at home with her family, her adoptive family. She's wearing her holster. Who's coming off the ship today? Who do I have to go greet? Are these more cousins? Wait a second. It's Obi-Wan Kenobi. She shoves Obi-Wan Kenobi out of the way. Could care less. Lola, my robot. Obi-Wan has some nice pat things to say to Leia about the person she's going to be one day. Hint, hint. Rewatch the Star Wars trilogy, everybody. And then he heads back to Tatooine and he meets Luke Skywalker. Apparently Luke Skywalker doesn't remember. He's just a sport farm boy. Nothing's ever going to happen to him. Man, nothing's going to ever happen to me on this dust rock. Except, oh yeah, remember that time someone came and chased me into the desert and tried to murder me? And my uncle and aunt are always terrified of me going anywhere. And I did meet that guy. I don't know his name was Ben or what his name was. But there's always like a lot of talk among the people that, you know, the, the, we got to make sure that we find those rabble-rousing Jedis and string them up. I think I met one of those guys years ago. But nothing ever happens here on Tatooine, the most boring place in the universe. So once again, all that irony is to say that a lot of contradictions to what we of the whole point of putting him on Tatooine and everything we knew from the original series. And then Obi-Wan rides off into the desert and he finally sees it, even says it, finally sees Qui-Gon. I know people who have been defending this show 
and have been very excited to see Qui-Gon. And this is what we get. <laughs> Just a moment here at the end. Maybe that's a teaser that he would be a bigger part of the next season. But I don't, I'm not coming back for another season of this. Okay, I have a quick aside on the ages of these characters. Okay? Because I just started thinking about this today, and I'm probably not the first one to say this, so I do apologize if you read similar articles out there before. I don't track these things down normally, but I did. I couldn't help but think when I watched the show of thinking to myself, hang on a second. So Luke's 10 years old in this show. We see his mom giving birth to him and dying at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Let's say that the that trilogy of films covers 10, 12 years, right? From Anakin being around 10 years old, probably, to in his 20s. Let's make it 15 years. That means that Darth Vader is created when Anakin's about 25 years old. That means that we're 10 years past that, so he's about 35 years old. And let's say that Obi-Wan is about 15 years older than him. He was in his 30s at that time. That makes Obi-Wan about 50 years old now. So Ewan McGregor, 50 years old, 51 years old, actually. Okay, all the math makes sense so far. But that does mean Luke Skywalker, the actor, Mark Hamill, is 18, I believe, when he's cast as Luke Skywalker. So let's say that the first Star Wars movie happens about 10 years after this one, just to make the math simple. That means that Obi-Wan, Ewan McGregor, looking great for 51 years old, by the way, is going to look like Alec Guinness <laughs> in the next 10 years. Hard to imagine that. Desert life is very rough on the skin. But here's the thing. I'm being sarcastic. I'm making a joke that these actors are completely inappropriate for these roles. Here is the craziest part about all of this. Alec Guinness was 62 years old when he made the first Star Wars movie. He is only 11 years older then than Ewan McGregor is now. So the point is, man, Ewan McGregor has been taking excellent care of himself. And it does go to speak that nowadays, everybody seems so much older, by the way, in older movies. I'm a fan of like really old movies. And I remember if you see movies from like the 1950s, the old maid, is 40 years old <laughs> like the the old granny that'll never get married and settled down is 40 which is to speak that we live a lot longer and we look a lot better at different ages so good for us make sure you eat all your veggies and uh, stay out of the sun <laughs> that sun's going to age you in 10 years from now you're, we're all going to look like alec guinness in that film and that also means once again let's go back to our math if darth vader is about 15 years younger let's say than obi-wan then when his helmet pops off in return of the jedi and we see that old man inside, he's got to be what, 50, 50 years old, maybe 55, depending on the gap in time between the first and third film. He looks terrible. Then again, he's been decomposing inside of that suit that whole entire time. Living inside that suit is probably like smoking two cartons of cigarettes a day. So I guess it all makes sense. I did find that funny though. I started going down this rabbit hole going like, hold on a second. We're supposed to believe that Ewan McGregor is going to look like Alec Guinness in 10 years. How old was Alec Guinness in that first Star Wars movie. He's like, what is he, like 80, 85 years old? No, he was 63. So <laughs> let's just hope that the next 10 years aren't as rough on Ewan McGregor as it was on <laughs> good old Alec Guinness. All right, so that's the finale. What did I think of all this? Is this worth watching? I would say, if you are just a casual Star Wars fan, absolutely do not watch this show. It adds nothing to the series. And by definition, it resets to zero. So what is the point of watching the show? If the story contained, if this was just an, you know, fan fiction, honestly, if this was just fan fiction, a side sidequel, a story of Obi-Wan in the desert, he's married, he's trying to have a regular life, he gets dragged back into, he gets discovered as a Jedi, his wife dies tragically in some kind of Jedi cleansing, 
and he just decides to just go to a monastic life and live in the mountains with the Jawas and keep an eye on Luke for when the day comes where he needs to rise to his challenge. I would say, great, tell that story. To tell this story, which you know has to have him interact with all the characters from the original Star Wars trilogy and some of the characters from the other Star Wars trilogy, the prequels kind of bridging the gap between the prequels and the original canon with the mandate that nothing that happens in this show can bleed out into any other film or series or anything else in the Star Wars universe. It's all a waste of time for me. I mean, I hate to say it, it really is not worth it, not worth watching. And would I watch season two? I'd say if you're a fan of season one, they do leave things where you could potentially have the series I just described to you, this kind of like Obi-Wan on his own, on like personal missions, haunted by his past. Maybe that show would be somewhat interesting, maybe, but I'm not going to give him a chance. I have no faith in the direction of the series right now. And I'm not going to watch any more Star Wars for, you know, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> I mean, I would need someone to really convince me, or I should say that the series is going in a fundamentally different direction for me to even bother to invest my time to have these one-off shows that like we have Andor, the Andor series coming, a prequel to Rogue One. And that theoretically could be an interesting story about these spies living their lives before their Rogue One mission. But I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch it because I know what they're going to do. They're going to try to tie it in. We're going to see Darth Vader again. We're going to see all the characters from the original series. Probably Obi-Wan will pop up somewhere. They can't resist. <laughs> and at the end, it will all have to reset to zero. They're not allowed to do anything of consequence that has any impact beyond the scope of that series. So what's the point? What's the point? So I'm not going to watch Andor. I'm pretty much out on the Star Wars franchise until someone's got to do a really strong case to make me watch any of this ever again. I am hoping to have a conversation with someone who enjoyed this season. I have not seen their reaction to this final episode, but have enjoyed the season and I'll let them make their case. And I promise everybody, I will bite my tongue. <laughs> I'll let them make a positive case and I will not nitpick. <laughs> I'll try not to, maybe, maybe I won't, <laughs> but I'm definitely going to try to not attack the show during that. Expect to see that conversation in the next episode of our show, our recap show, when I do do a recap of the next episode of The Boys. With that out of the way, here is my conversation with my sister about The Old Man, a very interesting spy story that has been very surprising up until this point, very well made. The action is great. Jeff Bridges is doing incredible action work here in his 70s and just a great cast, great writing, great directing so far. Here's the conversation. One day... A nice young lady from the New York Times is going to call you and she'll pull back the curtains and I hope you see that all the work you've done, all the things you've built, they matter, they're appreciated, they'll survive. I hope you'll see tears and reverence and love. Believe me when I tell you that moment is what every moment that preceded it has been for. What you don't want to see is doubt ill-regard, gossip, and indictments, and your wife's shame, and your grandson's confusion about what kind of man his grandfather truly was. Do what you must to protect that moment. Do anything you must. The light's perfect. Or that it might stay that way forever. All right. So today 
I primarily want to talk about the old man. So I'm going to do my usual preamble. Celia's on the line here. Hello. Hello. I originally had suggested that Celia watch this show, The Old Man. This is the show with Jeff Bridges. It's on FX and on Hulu. And therefore, everything is owned by Disney. Disney owns everything now. <laughs> originally, I was just thinking about, yeah, we'll talk about this show. It's premiering this week. I like Jeff Bridges. It'll probably be something to talk about. Maybe watch the show all the way through. Maybe not. But I wasn't that interested. And the reviews had come in early. They were like, it's good. That's about it. No one was that crazy enthusiastic about it. And that's all to say that I was very excited when I saw this show. I, th- I thought it was terrific. And uh, a few observations before we get into spoiler-free. We're going to start spoiler-free, and then we'll get into spoilers for the two first episodes, which are available. It's pretty rare that I watch a show and someone's completely off my radar, and then all of a sudden I actually want to track down their work. So this show has the same showrunner as a show called Black Sails on Stars, which is also available on Hulu, by the way, if anybody wanted to watch that. It's a, an adaptation of Treasure Island. And that was a show that I had heard about. You know, it's been around on stars for years. And sometimes these like networks, they keep things around because they really have like no other shows. <laughs> so they just keep renewing them. So I never really paid attention to that show. But now I actually think I might want to track it down because I thought this show is this show, The Old Man, is so well written. I thought the show was just such a surprisingly well written show. And in so many ways, it's completely generic. It's exactly what you would expect from this, these kind of uh, spy, uh, you know, who came in from the cold. In this case, older than usual, <laughs> but that's about the only real differentiator. But the reason I still would recommend this so highly is I think the writing is so good and the writing is so surprising. And I often feel like so many times I watch a show and all I get is plot, plot, plot. And this show is plot is there. It's almost like they're using the fact that we kind of know what the next thing that's going to happen is going to happen. And what it allows you to do then is to just hang out with these characters and they have these long, long conversations with each other, which I thought were terrific. Well, we, we, we married in our 20s and, you know, it made sense. I supported him however I could. I enjoyed his company. He enjoyed mine. Hosted and fought and apologized and had a son. Mm-hmm. Loved him. Cared for him. We had a life. You know, we worked at it and it, it made sense until one day I woke up and it didn't. And then there was a woman much younger than me. And then it was over. And my house got very, very quiet. No, he didn't deserve that. Then let me tell you this story a different way. When we married in our 20s, it made sense to everyone. I was pretty sure it made sense to me too. We enjoyed each other's company. We had a life until one day I woke up and I couldn't breathe. I dragged myself to the mirror and I, I recognized the eyes, but not the face. It wasn't my face. It was my mother's face or a stranger's face. Nothing made any sense. So I got the courage to talk to my husband and I said, something is very wrong. I am living the wrong life, but I wanted to fix it. Somehow I wanted to fix it with him. I wanted to live the right life with him. And he agreed and he sacrificed and he supported and he picked up slack and he compromised and 
I didn't get any happier. But I tried. I tried. I tried. So eventually he couldn't sacrifice anymore. Eventually he found a life that made sense with a woman who, when she tried to get happy, she succeeded. And the happier he got with her, the more and more resentful he got towards me. And spiteful. And my life got really, really quiet. Why would you tell the story that way? I tell it to myself both ways. Honest to God, I don't know which one is the truth. These actors, Jeff Bridges, John Lithgow, and Amy Brenneman, just to name three of this really excellent cast, they just have these long conversations with each other. And I find that not only is the writing very good, but Jeff Bridges has got to be late in his career just someone I'm so impressed with that he could be the big Lebowski or he could be in true grit or he can be in, you know, hell or high water recently or in this show. And these are very different writing styles, but he just, it's, it doesn't feel like he's reading dialogue. It's like, he's just speaking lines. He's just great. And the whole cast is great. And like I said, it, the plot is not surprising in any way, but it is just excellent in its execution. And then they do throw in surprising things in there, which I'm not going to spoil yet, but I do want to talk about some things that happen in this show that are kind of surprising, just the way they execute, you know, expected conventions. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> so uh, where are you with all of this? First of all, I think Jeff Bridges is sexy. <laughs> I know he's older, <laughs> and 70, but I don't something. know why I find him sexy. I'm sure I'm not alone in this. And yeah, I agree with you. He uh, is very good in whatever role he takes on, no matter how different it is from the previous role. But he's always the same person. I have to say yeah. that. Like, he's not like a completely different character. It's just kind of, he still has a base, yep. but it works out really well in whatever he does. And what I, could, I, I, could do I, a, I, I could do a slight digression on that with him and acting Amy Brenneman, who we just saw in... Um, the Shining Girls as well, is the type of character actor you're describing, although they're probably more stars than they are because they've, they've been around for so long and they've been, had so many big uh, successes. But uh, they are these type of characters, like Jack Nicholson, I'd mentioned also, is somebody who's not a chameleon. It's not like he is, uh, he's not Robert De Niro trying to like uh, become a different character and lose weight and change their physical transformation and speak with a lisp or whatever. They are channeling an aspect of their own personality. And, and that I think is very interesting that you have uh, oftentimes you have these two different kinds of stars. One is where they are trying to inhabit a character using their own persona. And then you have people who are like, you know, like they, they starve themselves for a role or they, you know, they want to physically transform themselves. They want to look unrecognizable. And it's like kind Christian of more, Bale, like a Christian Bale. Exactly. Like someone who has like, you can't address them while they're performing, you know, like that kind of thing. Anyway, but I think Jeff Bridges, he, you're absolutely right. He's that kind of performer. The way he picks his parts, he probably knows what works for him. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, this show was uh, mesmerizing. I did not read anything about it whatsoever. Yeah. At first, I was like, oh, dementia as a horror movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm like, what if it's that? 
Yeah, but it's that would be interesting in and of itself. Not, it would be. Maybe we should pitch that to somebody. Right. Maybe write a movie where that is the. But and I know it's been done before, but in a way that is new and fresh. The father. So, have you seen the father? I have not. Oh my god, you have got. This is my highest recommendation. This is the movie that Anthony Hopkins won Best Actor for last year. It is called The Father. It's about someone who has dementia. He is the star, and you're in his point of view, and that is the most terrifying horror movie you'll ever see. It's not, by the way, if you hear me say that, <laughs> I want to be clear that I'm not thinking that it's like a horror movie, like you go see like a slasher movie or something, but it's like a real horror movie because <laughs> that is coming for many of us or our loved ones. And it is uh, utterly terrifying. So it is like that sequence you saw at the beginning of this film. I mean, this uh, series, it is like that, but for an entire feature length film where you literally do not know where you are in time where you are in his life, like he's remembering things. It is incredible. And uh, it's one of the best movies I've seen in years. So you should all track it down. The Father, that's what it's called. Well, this movie, as far as I could tell so far, it really is not about dementia. No. Although it, <laughs> it did not. have that vibe right yes, in the beginning. Yes. I'm like, what am I watching? And then things happen. You start yes. getting clues. Like every every scene is like a new clue as to what could be happening. So it's a uh, very entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I would want to call out one more thing. One of the behind the scene talents here, which I also think is fascinating because I think this show is also incredibly well directed in these first two episodes. Both episodes are directed by John Watts. John Watts, the guy who has directed the three most recent Spider-Man movies, but he started, he's still a young guy. He started, he made a horror movie, by the way. So you see that horror movie tone. That was his very first film. His second film that he directed was a, a movie called Cop Car with um, Kevin Bacon in it as a bad guy. Very low budget. And it's that's a very entertaining movie if you can find it. I don't think it's available on streaming. I looked for it. But what I would mention is that, you know, because he's been doing Spider-Man for now, these Marvel movies take so long. So it's probably been the whole last eight years of his life. And of course, he's been incredibly popular with that. You have to go back to Cop Car to see him with this like real abrupt brutality to the violence in his movies, which of course you don't see in the Spider-Man movies, but you have a couple of sequences here. And now I'm going to spoil very minor, the first few minutes of this show when someone comes into his house to try to assassinate him and he um, kills this guy, shoots him. We watch him like, you know, take his last breath. And like, there's this kind of the consequences of violence in this show. We see it more than one time. Like, you know, they show everything as far as the you know, how difficult it is to get away from somebody, to beat somebody up, to survive a shooting or whatever. And they show all of it. And uh, I thought it was just exceptionally well done, like really impressive. Everything's great. The atmosphere is great. I like the town that he's in. Yeah, yeah. all the details. Yep. Very, very good on the details. And then we come to find that he is really just kind of hiding out. At first, I thought it might be something like he's in witness protection, right? but he's not. I don't know what he's doing, though, yet. Like, why is he hiding? Well, I'll just give you some general history, and then I'll tell you what my theory of the case is. And we're probably going to start getting into spoilers now. But for, just for the first two episodes, which is all we've seen, which are available right now, by the way. And episode three is on Thursday. So if anybody wants to watch along, make sure you check it out. It's available on your FX apps. It's available on your cable box through FX and uh, on Hulu as well. I have to say also, what a great job they did casting the young versions of these people. They look exactly like they did when they were younger. They it's do. Cool. I knew immediately it was him, like yeah. as a younger person. I'm <laughs> yeah, like, there you job. go. It's him younger. 
he didn't even have to like walk over yet. I'm like, oh, I know what's happening. And so and in it, that case, I did know. And his wife too, which we only see like, you know, in his, like these visions he has, but the wife is the actress who plays Marsha on uh, Succession. And uh, once again, the young version of her looks just like that actress as well. So it's pretty surprising, but very well done, basically. Again, everything's well done. All right. So a little bit of the history. So in 1979, in Afghanistan, there was a communist uprising. You know, this internal communist regime took over in the cities and the, the rural areas got very mad about this because they were much more conservative, as you expect in rural areas, much more, you know, Islamic fundamentalists. And what ended up happening was that within this uh, government, the number two guy actually killed the number one guy and then became president. So he killed the president and then became president. This was back when Soviet Russia existed. So the Russians were very interested in Afghanistan. It's like a neighboring country. If they could kind of get in good with the Afghanis, they'd have an access to the sea. They've always been interested in Afghanistan as a strategic uh, location. And they were part of the reason that there was that communist flip in that country. But when that assassination happened and the other guy took control, they were afraid that this guy was going to try to align himself with the United States, which of course we wanted, you know, the US wanted. So what ended up happening was the Russians invaded Afghanistan and took control of the government, put a puppet in power. If any of this sounds familiar, <laughs> as, as um, Mark Twain once said that history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes a lot. <laughs> so you know, here we have the Russians invading a country, trying to put a puppet in power. Uh, in that case, unlike the Ukrainian situation right now, they, you know, where they were unsuccessful, they were successful in Afghanistan. And what ended up happening is the United States went and we took the side of the Islamists because they were fighting against the, the Soviets. And they had what they call a proxy war, where basically 10% of the population of Afghanistan was killed during this war, and another 10 or 15% evacuated the country. All this heavy artillery was the Russians and the United States fighting basically a proxy war through them. But- no Americans were allowed to pull triggers. No Russians were allowed to pull triggers. That would be like a bridge too far. So we were like training people on the ground. You know, these spies, these CIA operatives were training people to fight the Russians. And one of those people that we trained and we lined up with was Osama bin Laden. That didn't turn out badly at all, did it? <laughs> but anyway, so we, uh, you know, have been have very strange bedfellows for our history. And then uh, what ended up happening was that over the course of years, it actually bankrupted Russia. One of the main reasons that Russia eventually you know, dissolved was because they spent so much money. They lost like 10, 15% of all their troops, maybe more in this proxy war in Russia, in uh, Afghanistan. And of course, Afghanistan has like never recovered from that either. It's been you know, constant war there ever since. And of course, the Islamists that we propped up, that we trained eventually you know, did terrorist attacks on, on us and yada, yada, yada. So you know, history just keeps going and going. What I think is happening in this show is that the CIA was training these Islamists that Jeff Bridges' character has, you know, this is in the flashbacks, had abandoned the CIA, had run off to actually become a ghost, like actually be a mercenary there. He had to be completely undercover because if Russians were found out that Americans were actually killing Russian soldiers, it would be incredibly bad for everybody. That's what we see that meeting in the desert. He needs the weapons. And, you know, he's like basically saying, if this is going to blow back on me, and um, what ended up happening was that he was doing this all covertly. So at some point, he escapes from Afghanistan. He marries this Middle Eastern woman. I have a feeling that she might have been somehow related to this, quote, you know, Osama bin Laden proxy that we have not met yet in the show. But I think that there will be this person they keep hinting at that he wants to have him like basically uh, expedited out of the country. And then that's what's basically happened. So he had some bad blood there, obviously, because of the war. He's on the run again. He's been invisible for years. And he's very good at being that because obviously that was his whole career up until that point. And now 
he has no friends because the people who were his allies and knew what he was doing want him dead because if the truth comes out, they're in trouble. And then, of course, the people he was acting upon, you know, want him dead <laughs> because he was killing the Russians and stuff. And then, of course, this once again, this Osama bin Laden proxy in the show wants him dead because they were allies at some point, And then he either betrayed him or ran away or with his wife or his daughter or something. Right. And then that's all that I think is going to play out over the course of the show. I think that you're right about this uh, prediction of yours right away with the flashbacks where the wife is like, who am I? Right, right. Who, like, who are you? Right. And I see you all that's happening. So I'm like, okay, so these people are pretending to be someone else. This is what I'm getting so far, right. which is what happened. And, but then a lot of other interesting things happen that like, we're not clear about and doesn't even have anything to do with the politics that we know of at right. the moment is his daughter alive? Yes. Who is he speaking to? I have some, I'm going to leave this to the very end because nobody's talking about this online and it is something that's completely obvious to me. So either I'm an idiot or they're intentionally keeping this under wraps. So I will leave this to the end of the episode because you may not want to hear it either. My guess on, as to what that is. Um, and I'll still I leave want it for the, to hear it. <laughs> well, I know, but I still want to leave it for the end in case people listening. The fact that this is something that to me is in plain sight and no one is talking about it makes me think that it might be a big twist. And then I don't want to give away a big twist by accident. Basically. But I already know what it is. Like in my head, it. I mm -hmm. have a version of what is going on with that, yeah. which and, I'm uh, not going to bring up. Yeah, we can save it. We'll save it for the end. So we can just hit warn everybody yeah, to yeah. kind of skip out <laughs> before we talk about that. Part. Before we get into some of the details of the show, which I thought were great, I do want to also mention, you've probably saw this movie in theaters. I saw this movie in theaters. Do you remember Rambo 3? Oh, that was funny. Yes, it is very funny. But I was going to say that in Rambo 3, at the end of Rambo 3, he's fighting in Afghanistan and he rescues that boy. And then at the end, he's supposed to go back to the work for the US government. And he's like, screw you. And he like jumps on a horse and rides out to the desert with this, you know, the Muslim leadership. And he's like, we're going to fight the Russians. Right. And I'm like, so <laughs> Rambo three is a prequel to this show. <laughs> yeah, that, that is John Rambo. That, that is John Rambo 40 years later. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. <laughs> it, it's a, but it works you, you don't figure any of this out until like the second episode. Oh, Anyone yeah, yeah. who watches yeah. the first episode is not going to see any of this. They're just going to be like, you know, obviously he's in hiding, but why? Right. And is this guy his friend or his foe? The guy they cast to play John Lithgow younger looks just like John Lithgow and sounds exactly like John Lithgow. It's a pretty amazing job they did here. But when he meets with that guy in the desert and he's like asking for the guns, it's basically all laid out there. He's like saying that. You're not supposed to be there. If they find out about us, you know, we'll be in a lot of trouble. The Jeff Bridges character is already pressuring him, saying, like, basically, you're already in too deep. You've already given us weapons. You've already done this and the other thing. And of course, John Lithgow, you know, we assume continued to support him. And of course, now he's even more <laughs> now he's even more implicated with whatever's been going on this whole entire time. Right. So, yeah, he was not happy when he's like, why are we opening this file? Yeah, I, I wouldn't even be surprised. Well, no, I take that back. I was going to say, I wouldn't even be surprised if Lithgow actually was the one who had set, like was behind the assassination, because maybe Lith Lithgow is like, he's playing both sides. He's like, I want him dead, because of course, it's going to blow back on me, or I want him to like run off. So like, in other words, I'll pretend I'm on his side, but I really want him dead because, you know, every time if he opens his mouth, <laughs> I am screwed, basically. Right. But now that I think about it, when we first see him, which so often you watch so many shows, and everything is like one cliche after another, after another. And I feel like every decision in the show 
is not cliched. So when we meet him for the first time, he's like crying because he just had someone in, in his life die, right? So we're seeing that like the villain of the show, uh, not as this like, you know, usually like this kind of like sunglasses on with the wind blowing and like, you know, this, the, you know, like the dark darkness on the horizon, I'm going to get you. We see him like at his weakest point. So it's like really interesting how they really. Well, they humanize him. His um, son and his wife died. So he's now raising his grandchild. Right, right. And he's got it. So it's like you said, it's like very interesting that they choose to show us this person who's going to be his antagonist, but they show him in like the most sympathetic light possible. So it's like a very interesting uh, decision. Once again, like every decision I think is very interesting. here. I think that the audience, because I like this, when he somehow gets through to him on his phone. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. I'd be like, what is going on? But I guess, you know, super spies, like they're not that surprised by this kind of thing happening. I'd be like freaking out. Like I'm losing my mind. (laughs) Somebody's talking to me like from nowhere, giving me directions, telling me horrible things. The other thing that's incredible about this show, by the way, was it shot was shot during COVID with COVID protocols. So there's that's why like no one's ever in the room together <laughs> they're just talking on the phone all the time and then when they are they, you know in rooms together they're like kind of you know on the other side of a table or whatever but it's not like six sh- feet apart <laughs> exactly Stay and six uh, feet apart and everything <laughs> right. will be fine but what i think is so interesting once again is maybe that's why they may ended up making some of these interesting decisions they did i think that some of the like phone conversations are the most riveting parts of the show and it's like these people aren't even anywhere near each other enduring those conversations you know it's pretty pretty fascinating yeah, I uh, I'm a fan. Yep. Thanks for turning me on to this. Yeah, that's the purpose of this podcast: find things to <laughs> turn people on to. So I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> this was a surprise to myself too. I honestly did not think there would be because I'd watch it even if it was bad. If like if you're like, oh, I want to do a podcast right. on this, and we're gonna watch like some show we think is good, but then it turns out to be crazy or weird or just bad, I'd still watch it and probably just say sarcastic things. But um, no, this was. This is a very, very good pick. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, like I said, I didn't know that much about it going in at all. And I didn't watch trailers. So I tried. So like when you that experience you had where at the beginning, he's like having this like dementia. I'm like, I wonder (laughs) if the show is going to be about this guy having dementia. You know, I knew there was I knew there was an action element to it, you know, but I didn't think it was, uh, you know, I didn't know it was about spies or whatever. Um, Oh, my God. A a rampant running around killer. But he has dementia (laughs) and thinks like he's just shooting people. Just. (laughs) That, Who am I shooting? We could pitch that. We could pitch that. Who? Why did I shoot him? Is that my friend? We should pitch that. That would be very, very tragically funny. It like could be a, comedy. It could be black comedy. Pitch black comedy. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> the assassin with dementia. A couple of things I wanted to bring up in the in terms of the like just the the style of the show and how well done it is. The what is that 15 minute 20 minute sequence at the end of episode one where he kills those guys who are trying to arrest them he like tries he loses the tail and then he intentionally goes back just to make a point and uh i mean i think that's jeff bridges i, I think he did all the, that stunt choreography which is incredible in his 70s for him to be able to pull that off because it's not like they're half-assing it he is really you know grappling with this guy and uh, that whole thing is incredible. That whole, it, it goes out of the car, it goes into the car. And uh, you know, they, the car, like they're literally, the camera's inside the car while they're having the whole fight sequence. He literally runs off the road. If we see the car camera inside the car as the car rolls, and then the dogs come, those great dogs he has <laughs> to um, you know rescue him. I love his dogs. They are so- <laughs> So useful. Well-behaved like oh, so, and useful. 
and they look identical. It's almost like they're very cute. They may be, uh, maybe brothers. The other thing <laughs> that I was going to say that is, was a total shock to me. This is a fake out, but it was still, it's still, I think it's not cheap because I think it gives you some insight into his mind space, which is the scene where he gets pulled over by those cops and he's with I Amy love that Edmund. scene. I believed it. I'm like, what is he I doing? I did too. I Does did too. Does he have insight? Like, so is he so convinced that like, this is a setup of some kind that he just, but then he shoots her too. I'm like, no, <laughs> that is crazy. But the thing I, the reason I say that is first of all, it's utterly shocking for a moment. Totally. Like exactly. Like you said, I'm like, Oh my God, I think that he just did that. And it would be possible. Right. Cause she, we only just met her. Right. So we can definitely, and getting somebody a big name to play the role would only be more of a shock. Right. That's why you do it. Right. And uh, so I was like, Oh my God, he did it. Right. That's why I actually believed it. And then you see them like that, you know, fade into the reality, but I still think it's not just a cheap shock because what that means is that that is what his head is at all the time. At every moment, even when he's having, making her an omelet or whatever, in the back of his mind, he's always like, how do I kill her if I need to? <laughs> so this is part yeah. of his character, right? So it's pretty, pretty crazy. And he's right, by the way, that is exactly how they catch him at the end of the episode, by the way, right? How many episodes are in this? It's seven. It's weird. It's one of those new things. Like there's six episodes, there's eight. Now there's seven. Seven's a new, a new number of episodes. I don't know why. Seven's good. So like five, seven. More. five more. Um, so that was really cool. Yeah, the thing with Brenneman, that's fake out was really cool. Um, oh, all right. So here's where people may want to skip ahead. I might be spoiling something big in the show and I could be wrong. Maybe I'm crazy and I'm wrong, but I think there's something in plain sight of the show that is obvious to me. I mean, as a matter of fact, it was obvious before something happened in the show. And then the, the thing happened in the show and I was, I think I'm correct. So here's the thing. If you guys don't want to hear this, this might be a spoiler for the rest of the show. Celia, do you want to hear this? Do you want me to give you my Yes. Clue? Okay. Celia's going to get spoiled, but everybody else, you may want to tune out. And here's what it is. When he is talking to his daughter on the phone, right? Aliyah Shawkat is a pretty famous actress. Like I just watched her this year. They just finished Search Party. Search Party just wrapped up this year. And Kim and I, we used to watch Search Party. So we've been watching it for a while. She's maybe on Arrested Development. So, you know, we've been watching her for a very, very long time. And by the way, she is half Iranian, right? So she is half Middle Eastern, an actress, right? So when he's talking to his daughter on the phone, I'm like, oh, I recognize that voice. That's Aaliyah Shawkat, right? That's his daughter. And then now at the end, they're trying to say like, oh, well, maybe, um, maybe, maybe uh, he's, uh, she's, he's crazy. And he's imagining this. This is the problem. Who is the assistant to John Lithgow's character? Who's that actress? Aaliyah Shawkat, her assistant, is Elizabeth. In her fake identity. Oh, that's so, a possibility. You mean is his daughter's fake identity this assistant? Yes. Is that what you mean? Yes. That's, that, I mean it's. I mean, it's the same actress playing. It's the same actress who does both roles. Is what I'm saying. They're saying that she ended her life on a certain year, and he was pretty convinced up until right now. I guess you're always ready, but he was pretty convinced that um, they were going to stay in hiding. So why would he like turn her into a suicidal person and then give her a new identity if he wasn't? Well, I think they're trying to kill her off so that she would be, so they wouldn't go after her, you know? But I don't think he thought people were going to go after him. Like his wife died of dementia. He just thought he was going to. Oh no, he thought people were coming. 
That's why he has the dogs trained to murder anyone who comes in the house. I did notice that the dogs were trained for that, oh, but yeah, also absolutely. how long, but like in this stage of his life, does he still think that? He had a go bag. I mean, he, he packed that, that bag was ready to go in two seconds. He had that go bag ready to go. He's always thinking about when they're coming for him. Well, then maybe it works out your theory. And then that'd be even more impressive. I mean, even more useful to him if she's working from the inside, you know? I don't know if he wants her involved if she's, you know, around. I don't know if he wants her involved in this. I don't think he would put her in that kind of a situation. He would have to tell her stuff because she'd be like, oh, why can't I do that? I mean, if my theory is correct, because they have the same actress playing both roles, if that is the case, it's the same person playing both roles and not just some trick that they're trying to play on us then that means that she has this alias and she is working within the CIA intentionally. There is a very very interesting scene when he's in a diner, Yeah. when he's looking at someone out a window, like, and he's remembering his wife. Yeah. For a second there, I thought he was talking to the person in the window, but then I'm like, no, he's not. He's just remembering his wife. Yeah. He's just, she's reminding, she reminds him of, of her. So, yeah. So yes, lots of mysteries. I like it. Yeah. It is uh, a very interesting show, I think. And, uh, and it's based on the book. I don't know if the book is a series, like the Reacher books, you know, like if they're planning to make more of these or if this is a one-off, I honestly don't know. I've never read it and I don't really know about the author very much because a lot of these spy books are like that. Um, yeah, but I am definitely interested in checking it out and we'll get another episode in just a couple of days. And uh, I'd also recommend if you're interested in these kind of tricky spy shows that uh, on Apple Plus, uh, Slow Horses, which I think I already recommended to you before, but I'd recommend Slow Horses, which just wrapped up about a month ago. It's also a spy show with a lot of very interesting characters, very colorful characters. It's a British show. And, um, and they already shot a second season of it. So the second season is coming in just a couple more months. It's very entertaining. And it's a show about like the kind of the losers in the um, MI5, like their CIA if you screw up and you're like kind of a loser, they put you in this um, slough house, they call it. It's, a, it's the address of the place. They call them slow horses when they are stuck there. And basically what happens is that some really messed up spy operation goes really, really badly. And they try to pin it like the, the, the powers that be are such scumbags, <laughs> like the actual um, MI5, the, the politicians and the, the bureaucrats are such scumbags that they're like, oh, how do we basically keep our nose clean. That's all they care about. They're like, we're going to pin the whole screw up on the slow horses. These, these, these screw ups just say like, oh, they messed up. It's all their fault. And we're going to make them take the fall for us. And they don't actually try to prevent this assassination from happening. They're just too interested in, you know, pinning the blame on these idiots. So then these idiots, you know, the the worst of the worst basically have to like be on the lamb and they have to, A, solve the crime that MI5 is not interested in solving, and B, not get caught because everybody's trying to catch them at the same time. So it's very entertaining, and I would recommend that as well. And the whole thing happens in one night, by the way. It's like five or six episodes long, and everything happens in one night. So it's a lot of fun. And that's Slow Horses. So check that out. If you like spy shows and you want some, a well-made recent spy show, check out Slow Horses on Apple+. Plus. And that's about it. Cool. That's And away from me These hands are old Weren't ever supposed to be
Okay, so that's where we left things. And my sister and I will continue to be watching that series. I'll definitely be watching it. And probably in a week or two when we come back to discuss the new Apple Plus TV series, Blackbird, we will also catch up on The Old Man and give you our ongoing reaction to that series. There's only seven episodes total, so it'll be a pretty quick watch if you do decide to binge it at the end. Once again, next week, back with Only Murders in the Building, The Boys, as we approach the end of this season three. Probably next week or shortly thereafter. Also expect to see my review of the final two episodes of this season of Stranger Things. And we have the new Thor movie coming. So lots to cover here. Make sure you subscribe so you know when those become available. And one last reminder that Ms. Marvel continues to be entertaining here on Disney+. And the latest episode is out today. And if you are a fan of Marvel, the Doctor Strange sequel is now available on Disney+. Plus also, so if you missed it in the theaters, very easy to watch it. I don't think there's any crossover with the next Thor movie, but to be a completist, you might as well watch it before you go see that Thor film next week. All right, thanks everybody for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Stand again from the dead.